we present Monkey. An abridged translation of the great Chinese classic Journey to the West, written by Wu Chung-un, translated by Arthur Whaley, and narrated by Bob Jones. Chapter 5 Monkey knew nothing about official matters, and it was fortunate that all he had to do was to mark his name on a list. For the rest, he and his subordinates ate their three meals, slept soundly at night, had no worries, but only perfect freedom and independence. When there was nothing else going on, he went round and made friends with the other denizens of heaven. He was careful to address the members of the Trinity as Venerable, and the four emperors as Majesty, but all the rest, planets, lunar mansions, spirits of the hours and days, he treated as equals. Today he wandered east, tomorrow rambled west. His goings and comings were unhampered as the passage of the clouds. One day, at court, an immortal stepped forward and made the following petition. I submit that the sage, equal of heaven, has no duties to perform. He spends all his time going round and making friends. All the stars of heaven, high and low, are now his cronies. Trouble will come of it unless some way is found of employing his time. The Jade Emperor accordingly sent for Monkey, who arrived in high glee, asking, What promotion or reward has your majesty sent for me to announce? I hear, said the Emperor, that you have nothing in particular to do, and I am going to give you a job. You are to look after the Peach Garden. I wish you to devote the greatest attention to this work." Monkey was in wild delight, and unable to wait for a moment, he rushed off to take over his new duties in the Peach Garden. Here he found a local spirit who cried out to him. Great sage, where are you going? To take charge of the peach garden, he said. I've been appointed by his majesty. The spirit bowed low and called to hoe earth, draw water, peach tender and leaf sweeper, the strong men who worked the garden to come forward and kowtow to Monkey. How many trees are there? Monkey asked of the local spirit. Three thousand six hundred, he said. On the outer side, one thousand two hundred, with inconspicuous flowers and small fruit. They ripen once in three thousand years. Whoever eats them becomes a fairy, all-wise. His limbs are strong and his body light. In the middle of the garden are one thousand two hundred trees, with double blossom and sweet fruit. They ripen once in six thousand years. Whoever eats them can levitate at will and never grows old. 
At the back of the garden are 1,200 trees. The fruit has purple markings and the stones are pale yellow. They ripen once in 9,000 years. Whoever eats them outlasts heaven and earth and is the compeer of sun and moon. Monkey was delighted and began at once inspecting the trees and listing the arbors and pagodas. Henceforward, he amused himself only once a month on the day of the full moon, but otherwise saw no friends and went nowhere. One day, he saw that high up on some of the trees, many of the peaches were ripe, and he made up his mind to eat them before anyone else got a chance. Unfortunately, he was closely watched by his followers, and to shake them off, he said, I'm feeling tired and I'm going to take a short rest in that arbour. Go and wait for me outside the gates. When they retired, he took off his court hat and robes and scrambled up onto a high tree and began to pluck the ripest and largest fruit he could see. Sitting astride a bough, he regaled himself to his heart's content, and then came down. He put on his hat and robes and called to his followers to attend him while he returned in state to his lodging. After a few days, he did the same thing again. One morning, Her Majesty the Queen of Heaven having made up her mind to give a peach banquet, told the fairy maidens Red Jacket, Blue Jacket, White Jacket, Black Jacket, Purple Jacket, Yellow Jacket and Green Jacket to take their baskets and pick peaches in the peach garden. They found Monkey's followers barring the gate. We have come, they said, by command of Her Majesty, to pick peaches for a banquet. Halt, my fairy beauties! said one of the guards. Things have changed since last year. This garden has been put in charge of the great sage, equal of heaven, and we must get his permission before we can let you in. Where is he? they asked. He's feeling rather tired, a guardian spirit said, and is having a nap in the arbour. Very well then, they said. Go and look for him, for we must get to work at once. They consented to go and tell him, but found the arbour empty, save for Monkey's hat and robe. They began looking for him, but he was nowhere to be seen. The fact was that Monkey, after supping away and eating several peaches, had changed himself into a little fellow two inches long, and was curled up asleep under a thick leaf high upon the tree. "'We must carry out our orders,' said the fairy maidens. Whether you find him or not, we can't go back empty-handed. Quite right, fairy beauties, said an officer. We must not keep you waiting. Our master has been used to going about a great deal, and probably he has gone to look up some of his old friends. Just you go and pick your peaches, and we'll tell him when he comes back. So, they went into the garden, and first they picked three baskets full from the trees in the near part of the garden, then three from the trees in the middle. 
But when they came to the trees at the back, they found nothing but snapped stalks. All the peaches had been taken. However, when they had looked about for some time, they did succeed in finding one solitary peach that was not quite ripe, hanging on a southward-facing bough. Blue Jacket pulled the bough towards her and picked the peach, then let go. <coughs> this was the very bough where Monkey was sleeping in his diminutive form. The jerk awoke him, and rapidly changing himself back again, he cried out, Where have you come from, monsters? And how comes it that you have the audacity to pick my peaches? The terrified fairy maidens, with one accord, fell upon their knees, crying, Great sage, don't be angry. We are not monsters. We are seven fairy maidens, sent by the Queen of Heaven to pick peaches for her peach banquet. When we came to the gate, we found your officers on guard. They looked everywhere for you, but couldn't find you. We were afraid to keep Her Majesty waiting, so as you could not be found, we came in and began to pick. We beseech you to forgive us. Monkey became all affability. Rise from your knees, fairies, he said. Tell me now, who is invited to this banquet? It is an official banquet, they said, and certain deities are invited as a matter of course. The Buddha of the Western Heaven will be there, and the Bodhisattvas and Lohans, Kuan Yin too, and all the immortals of the Ten Islands. Then there will be the five spirits of the Pole Star, the emperors of the four quarters, the gods and immortals of the seas and hills. All of them will come to the banquet. Shall I be asked? inquired Monkey. I haven't heard it suggested, one of them said. But I am the great sage, equal of heaven, said Monkey. I don't see why I shouldn't be invited. We can only tell you who is invited according to the rules, they said. What will be done this time, we don't know. Quite right, my dears, said Monkey. I'm not blaming you. Just you wait here while I go off and scout round a little to see whether I am invited or not to be invited. Dear Monkey, he recited a magic formula and cried to the maidens, Stay! 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 This was a fixing magic, and the fairies in consequence of it remained rooted to the spot where they stood. Monkey set off on his magic cloud, sailed clear of the garden, and hastened towards the pool of green jade. On the way, he ran straight into the red-legged immortal. At once he thought of a plan by which he might trick the immortal and attend the feast himself. Old Wisdom! Where are you going? he asked. I have been invited to the peach banquet, the immortal answered. You probably haven't heard, said Monkey. I've been asked by the Jade Emperor, because I get about so fast on my cloud, to go round to all the guests and tell them there's going to be a rehearsal of ceremonies first in the Hall of Penetrating Light. The immortal was a guileless soul and was completely taken in. Other years we've always had the rehearsal at the same place as the banquet, he said. However, 
I am much obliged. And turning his cloud, he made towards the hall of penetrating light. Then, reciting a spell, Monkey changed himself into the exact image of the red-legged immortal and went straight to the green jade pool. After a little while, he came to the treasure tower and stepped softly in. Everything was set out for the feast, but no one had yet arrived. Monkey was gazing at the scene when suddenly a smell of brewing assaulted him. He turned round and, in a gallery on the right, saw a number of fairy ministrants making wine. Some were carrying the mashed grain, others bringing water. Boys were keeping up the fire, jugs were being washed and jars swept. The wine that had already been made was exhaling a delicious perfume. Monkey's mouth watered, and he would have gone and drunk some at once had it not been for the presence of all these servants. He was obliged to employ his magic powers. Pulling out a handful of his finest down, he tossed it into his mouth and bit it into even smaller pieces. Then he spat it out, crying, Change! And the hairs changed into so many drowsy insects which flew towards the servants and settled on their cheeks. Look at them, how their hands fall to their sides and their heads sink down, their eyes close and they fall asleep. Monkey then snatched up some of the finest viands and daintiest dishes, ran into the gallery, seized a jug, tilted a jar, set to and drank deeply. When he had been drinking for some time and was already pretty drunk, he thought to himself, Bad, bad. The guests will soon be arriving, and I shall get into trouble. It's no good staying here. I'd better go and have a sleep in my own quarters. Dear Monkey, staggering and blundering along, very much the worst for liquor, he lost his way, and instead of getting home, he arrived at the Tushita Palace. Suddenly, he came to himself and realized where he was. Why? This is where Lao Tzu lives, he said to himself. How did I get here? Well, I've always wanted to meet that old man and have never had the chance. It wouldn't be a bad idea, as I am here, to go and have a look at him. So he tidied his clothes and went in. But there were no signs of Lao Tzu or anyone else. Actually, Lao Tzu was in an upper room with Dipankara, Buddha of the past, expounding the way to an audience of immortal officers, pages, and officials. Monkey went straight into the alchemical laboratory. There was no one there, but a brazier at one side of the hearth was burning, with five gourds arranged round it, and in these gourds was finished elixir. This said Monkey to himself in high glee, is the highest treasure of the immortals. Since my illumination, I have solved the secret of the identity of inside and outside, and was on the verge of producing a little elixir on my own account, when unexpectedly I came home and was busy with other things. I think I'll try a pill or two. He tilted the gourds and ate up the contents for all the world as though it had been a dish of fried beans. After a while, full of elixir and the effects of the wine now wearing off, he again took stock of the situation. 
and said to himself, Bad, bad. This escapade of mine is even more unfortunate than the last. If the Jade Emperor gets to hear of it, I am lost. Run, run, run. I was better off as a king in the world below. He rushed out of the Tushita Palace, not going his usual way, but making for the western gate of heaven. Here he used a magic that made him invisible and lowered his cloud till he was back on the borders of the mountain of flowers and fruit. A flash of banners and a gleam of spears told him that his followers were practicing the arts of war. Little ones, I am here, he cried aloud. They all flung down their weapons and fell upon their knees. Great sage, they said, you're very neglectful of your subjects. Fancy going off all this while without a thought about what becomes of us. However, they made a great banquet to welcome him and brought him a huge stone bowl full of date wine. After drinking a mouthful, he made a very wry face saying, What horrible stuff! I can't drink this! Two of his generals rushed forward. Great sage, they said. No doubt in the palace of heaven you have been drinking the wine of the immortals, and for that reason cannot stomach this date wine. But the proverb says, There is no water like home water, and it goes, There are no folk like home folk, said Monkey. When I was enjoying myself at the pool of green jade, I saw flagon after flagon of jade juice and ruby extract, such as you have never in your lives tasted. I'll go back and steal some for you, half a cup each, and you'll none of you ever grow old. All the monkeys were delighted, and the sage went out to the cave door, turned his somersault, made himself invisible, and returned to heaven. He found the makers of wine, carriers of dregs and water, and lighters of fire, all still snoring heavily. Taking a couple of large flagons, one under each arm and two more, one in each hand, he turned his cloud and came back. A great assembly of monkeys was held, and each got a cupful or two. There was a rapturous scene. Meanwhile, the seven fairy maidens remained spellbound a whole day. When at last they could move, they took up their flower baskets, and going back to the Queen of Heaven, they told her that the sage equal of heaven had held them back by magic. That was why they were so late. How many peaches did you pick? she asked. We got two baskets of small peaches and three baskets of middling peaches. But when we came to the back of the garden, we found that half the big peaches were already gone. It seems that the great sage has eaten them. While he was being looked for, he suddenly appeared in our midst, made a fearful scene and asked who had been invited to the banquet. We told him about the usual arrangements for such feasts, Whereupon he bound us by a spell and went off. We didn't know where. We have only just managed to break the spell and come back. 
The Queen of Heaven went straight to the Jade Emperor and was telling him what had happened when a crowd of winemakers and other celestial officials came pouring in, announcing that someone had made a mess of all the arrangements for the banquet, stolen the wine and eaten up all the dainties. At this moment, the Supreme Patriarch of Tao was announced. The Emperor and his consort went out to meet him. I am sorry to have to report to your majesties, said Lao Tzu, that the elixir which I was concocting for the next cinnabar banquet has been stolen. Presently, one of Monkey's celestial attendants arrived and reported that the great sage had been missing since the day before, and no one knew what had become of him. The Jade Emperor's suspicions were now confirmed. At this point, the red-legged immortal appeared before the throne. I was on my way to the banquet, he said, in response to Her Majesty's invitation, when I met the great sage, equal of heaven, who told me that he had been asked to inform all guests that they were to go first to the Hall of Penetrating Light and rehearse the ceremonies of the banquet. I did as he said, but when I got there, I saw no sign of your majesty's having arrived and thought it better to come at once to court. The Jade Emperor was more outraged and astonished than ever. So, the rogue counterfeits imperial orders and deceives my ministers, he exclaimed. Tell the celestial detective to get on to his tracks at once. After an exhaustive inquiry, the detective reported that the disturbances in heaven had been caused by the great sage. The Jade Emperor then commanded the kings of the Four Quarters and Vaisravana and his son to marshal the 28 lunar mansions, the nine planets, the 12 hours and all the stars, together with a 100,000 heavenly soldiers and draw a cordon round the mountain of flowers and fruit so that Monkey should have no escape. When this had been done, the nine planets were called upon to issue the challenge. Monkey and his generals were drinking wine from heaven, and when he was told that the planets were at the door, he refused to worry himself. If today you have wine, get drunk today. Pay no heed to what is at the door, be it good or ill, he quoted. A small imp now scurried up, saying that these nine fierce deities were raging at the gate, flinging battle taunts. Monkey only laughed. Don't pay any attention to them, he said. Poetry and wine are enough to make this day glad. High deeds must take their turn. Glory can afford to wait. But while he was speaking, another imp rushed in. Father, he cried, those nine fierce deities have broken down the gates and are advancing to the attack. Have those scoundrels no manners, cried Monkey. I've never interfered with them. Why should they come here worrying me? And he ordered the one-horned ogre to lead out the kings of the 72 caves to battle, while he and his four generals came in the rear. The ogre and his followers could get no farther than the iron bridge. Here the planets barred their path. 
make way, cried Monkey, and he strode through their midst, brandishing his cudgel. The planets dared not oppose him and beat a hasty retreat. When they had reformed their ranks a little way back, their leader cried, Insensate groom, what crime is there that you have not committed? You have stolen peaches and stolen wine, upset the high feast, purloined Lao Tzu's elixir, and then taken more wine for your banquet here. You have piled up sin upon sin. Do you not realize what you have done? Quite true, said Monkey. All quite true. What are you going to do about it? We have been sent by the Jade Emperor, they said, to receive your submission. If you surrender at once, you will be spared. If not... We shall stamp on your mountain till it is flat and smash your cave to bits. And where are you going to get the strength from? asked Monkey. To do that? How dare you talk such nonsense? Stand your ground and take old Monkey's cudgel. The planets leapt at him, but Monkey was no whit afraid. He brandished his cudgel, parrying here and thrusting there till the planets were quite worn out and one by one slunk away, trailing their weapons after them to seek refuge in their tents. "'That monkey king is a valiant fighter indeed,' they said to Vaisravana. "'We were unable to overcome him and have had to give up the fight.' The kings of the Four Quarters and the twenty-eight lunar mansions were then ordered to advance, but monkey did not quail, but bade the one-horned ogre the kings of the seventy-two caves and his four valiant generals to take their stand outside the cave. The combat began at dawn and lasted till the sun sank behind the western hills. The one-horned ogre and all the kings of the seventy-two caves were captured and carried away. Only the four generals and the monkeys escaped and hid in the far recesses of the cave. But Monkey, all alone, cudgel in hand, held back the kings of the four quarters, Vaisravana and Nata, warring with them halfway up the sky. At last, seeing that dusk was at hand, he plucked a handful of his hairs, tossed them into his mouth, chewed them up small and spat them out, crying, Change! Whereupon they changed into thousands of monkeys, each armed with a metal-plated cudgel. They drove back Vaisravana, Nata, and the four kings. Then Monkey, at last victorious, withdrew the hares and returned to his cave. At the Iron Bridge he was met by the four generals and all the host of monkeys. On seeing him, they wailed three times and laughed. Hee-hee-ho-ho! Three times! "'What made you wail three times and laugh three times when you saw me?' asked Monkey. "'We wailed,' they said, "'because the one-horned ogre and the seventy-two kings were defeated and captured, "'and because we had to fly for our lives. "'We laughed with joy because you have come back victorious and unharmed.' "'There is always defeat in victory and victory in defeat,' said Monkey. "'There is an old saying.' To slay ten thousand costs three thousand. In this case, 
the chieftains captured were all tigers, leopards, wolves, and the like. Not one of our monkey kind was taken or hurt, so there is nothing to worry about. By the art of self-division, I have put them to flight, but it is certain that they have encamped at the foot of our mountain. We must keep strict guard and husband our strength. Tomorrow you shall see me use my most potent magic against those divinities and avenge the captured. Then the four generals and all the monkeys drank a cup or two of date wine and went quietly to sleep. After the retreat of the kings of the four quarters, all the celestial warriors told of their deeds. Some had captured tigers and leopards, some deer, some wolves and foxes. But not one of them could boast that they had taken a monkey. They did indeed, as Monkey had foretold, set up a camp, surrounding it with a great palisade. Here the meritorious were rewarded, and the troops who formed the cordon round the caves were instructed to give warning by bell or cry, and be ready for the great battle that would begin at dawn. How they fared after day broke, you will hear in the next chapter. been listening to Monkey, an abridged translation of the great Chinese classic Journey to the West, written by Wu Chung-un, translated by Arthur Whaley, and narrated by Bob Jones. <laughs> <laughs>